Good morning. Are we thankful today that no matter what we go through, no matter how far we go, and no matter how far we get away from God, we still have a Father who loves us? That no matter where you were at when He found you, where you're at now, or where you're going to be in the future, He never stopped loving you and He never will. And that's what we can hold our hope on. I saw a quote from Helen Keller, and it says, Alone we can do so little, together we can do so much. If you look at the life of Jesus, He didn't do everything by Himself. He, had, he picked 12 men that He took under Him to teach and go share the gospel to all the nations. He picked 12 men. He called them disciples to spread the good news to a more vast area and to let, them, to let those people see that He was the Son of God. As Christians, we were never called to do life alone. We're called as Christians to do life together. We're called to pray together. We're called to cry together. We're called to celebrate together. We're called to love together. We can all remember that person in our life who talked to us, who poured into us, who prayed for us, and the person that no matter how many times we pushed them away, we never stopped. They never stopped coming towards us. They never stopped believing that one day we would see Jesus. They never stopped believing that one day we would give up the things of our past and accept the great future. They never stopped believing in us. They never stopped believing in you. Just like God never stops believing in you. As believers, we have unity, we have liberty, we have love, and we serve a God of miracles. Charles Hodge once said, The church is everywhere, represented as one. It is one body, one family, one fold, one kingdom. It is one because pervaded by one spirit, we are all baptized into one spirit, so as to become says the apostles on body. C.S. Lewis said, True friends face in the same direction towards common projects, interests, and goals. These two quotes have something great in common, and that is that both of them involve us being one body. The church is called to be one body as a whole. We're not called to be the greeters, and all, the greeters, the worship band, those things. We're not called to be separate entities intricacies we're called to be one a lot of that refers to what I do as a youth pastor here a lot of times what you get with youth is is we approach if I approach kids we have youth group and then we have t-car okay they're not the same thing to those kids what's hard to get them to wrap their head around is is that because you're a part of this youth group you're also a part of t-car if you're a part of t-car you're a part of this youth group you're part of it all because we all work together as one body, as one mind. Our goal as believers is to go out and tell about Jesus so that they can come to see Him as their Lord and Savior. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10 says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no division among you, but that you perfectly united in mind and thought. 
that doesn't mean just the Baptists are united. That doesn't mean just the Presbyterians are united. It doesn't mean just the Methodists are united or the Catholics or the Church of Gods or the non-denominationals. That's not what it means. Okay? We spend so much time worrying about the little bitty details that make us all different. Okay? We make we worry so much about what's the difference in the Presbyterians and the Methodists and the Catholics and, and the Christian the Baptists and all the worry about all the differences. Whenever all we should really worry about is the one common goal. And the one common goal for all of us is to see people accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Because in the grand scheme of things, none of the other stuff really matters. It really doesn't matter what happens in the little bitty intricacies of all those religions. The the grand scheme is what matters. We are not called to be divided in our faith. We're not called to be separate from each other. The one thing I love that we do around here is a thing called Motown Madness and the Go Tell Crusade that's coming up. We're uniting churches of all denominations to come together for one goal. And that one goal is what we all have, and that's to see people experience Jesus for the first time. To see kids and adults grow in their faith. To see them truly decide for the first time in their life, maybe they've been saved, but they're now really going to follow God and do what He wants them to do. We're called to support each other in the mission of spreading the gospel to the ends of the earth, and we are called to pray for each other. I understand that there's some people in some religion, the denominations of religion, that really don't get along. Okay? We all know that. Okay? But that's not what we're called to do. We're called to pray for those people. We're called to pray for each other. We're, we're called to pray for the Methodist church down the road that they'll see their church grow and that they'll see people experiencing Jesus. In Ephesians 4, verse 11 through 13, it says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service. So that the body of Christ may be built up, unity we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. God has equipped us. He has equipped you with something to help spread the gospel. If any of you all have ever worked with me, okay, my youth leaders, organization is not what he equipped me with. Did not equip me with that. That's why I have Nancy. That's why I have Nancy and Rita and Gilda. Because I did not get equipped with that part. Because I am not an organized person at all. Just go look at my office. It's my, or my room, yeah. Um, but Im- imagine if we all used our gifts we have together. Imagine if we all used the gifts we have together to go share the good news of Jesus. Something I heard a, a Pastor Tony at Manly once he talked about was, he said, imagine if we all just told five people about Jesus. Okay? And then those five people we told about Jesus went and told five more people about Jesus. And then those five people, those 25 people, went and told five more people about Jesus. And then those 125 people went and told five more people about Jesus. How fast we could share Jesus with the whole world. 
Because we get so worried about adding people, what we should want to do is multiply. Because multiplying is much faster than adding. And in order to grow the kingdom the fastest way possible, we have to be willing to multiply. Which means we all have to be willing to use the gifts that he's given us to go share the good news about Jesus. If we all kept that mindset, imagine the revival we could see in this nation and across this whole world in the next 40 years. Just imagine how many people we could see experience Jesus. It's our job to come together as all denominations and as all people and walks and believers in Christ to unite to go tell the nations about Jesus. Psalm 133 verse 1 says, How good and pleasant is it when God's people live together in unity. When we live together as one, it is when, we get, it is when great things can happen. When we support one another's vision, that's when we can see revival. And when we pour into each other, that's when we can see a great amount of spiritual growth. Unity is essential in the church because the divided church is a church that is failing. In order for a church to grow, not only in numbers, but in faith, it must take the church family growing together and doing life together. We have small groups, we have outreaches, we have things to where we do life together. In order to grow in your spiritual walk, you need people to hold you accountable. You need people to walk through hard times with you. Because any, can anybody here say that life's always good for them? Because it's not. Life's hard. You know, just last night, a lot of my kids went through something that made their life really hard. They lost a person who used to come here, a friend of theirs, that makes life really hard. And a lot of the questions are, why? Why does this happen? Why, why is she gone? Why did she do that? And I tell them, I don't know. Only one person knows, and that's God. Her and God. But in those times is when we have to rally around those people and to remind them that they're never alone. They're never alone because they always have God and they always have the church and they always have their friends and fellow believers. In being Christians, we have liberty. Walter J. Chantry said, Liberty may be an instrument for giving glory to the Most High or it may be a curtain used to shield base indulgences of the flesh. You may discover by self-examination of your heart which function liberty serves in your life. You have the choice on whether to use the liberty that you have to either indulge in things of the world or you choose to worship and give praise to God. God gives us choice on how we live our life. It's proven every day when people die and go to hell. They had the choice to accept Jesus, and they chose not. People have the choice on whether they accept Jesus or Lord and Savior. People have the choice on the path they're going to follow on in their life. They can choose to run away from God, or they can choose to run to God. And a lot of times, that's, what we, that's a choice we face in our lives. A lot of times we get to a point in our life where we get to a very low point where we really don't know where to go next. We call it rock bottom. And in that rock bottom, you can choose to do one of two things. You can either choose to turn and run farther away and see how much farther you can dig, 
or you can choose to run to God and just watch how fast he'll get you out of it. It is essential for us to remember that no matter what we think, God's plan for our life is so much greater than the plan we have for our life. Romans 14, conversion in Romans 14 say, Except him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. It is not our job to judge the life of others. Now does that mean we're not supposed to hold each other accountable? No. We are supposed to hold each other accountable as Christians. But as you hold them accountable, don't look at them and say, well, you're doing this such bad thing. So you're not doing it the right way. Look at them and realize that you need to help them through this situation, but realize you also have things in your life that you need them to help you through. Accountability is so important as Christians because without accountability, it's so easy to fall into the temptations of the world. You know, I, I spend a lot of time with 13 through 19-year-olds, okay? And whether you believe it or not or you want to admit it, they live in a totally different world than you grew up in. And like I told them last Wednesday, that's not an excuse for them to live a different life. It's not an excuse for them to go out and do things of the world and say, my life's just harder, so it's okay. Because that's not how it is. But it is okay for us to look at their life and say, you know, maybe they need a little more guidance. Maybe they need a little bit more help. Maybe they need to be shown other ways. And those are things, in life experiences they're going to go through, the reason we have adult workers and youth is because I've not been through a lot of the life experiences that even these kids are going to go through. You know, I've not had to lose a close loved one. I've not had to do those things in life that a lot of it takes there. But a lot of the adults have. They've been through divorce. They, they know kids who have gone through divorce. They know those things that I don't know. And that's why it's so important for adults to pour into youth. Because if adults don't pour into youth, you're relying on people who are their age to pour into them, and they don't know a lot of times they're going through. Another 17-year-old kid doesn't know how to walk another 17-year-old kid through depression. Another 17-year-old kid doesn't know how to talk a 17-year-old kid out of suicide. They don't know those things. It takes adults who have been, who know those things and have experienced life and have seen those events happening to come and pour into those kids. But when people make, we're not called to judge others. We were never called to tell others how to live their life. One of the things that really bothers me is when people come up to kids and they're like, you're going to be a pastor one day. And I'm like, you don't know that. But we're not called to tell kids how to live their life. We're not called to tell them they can only do certain things. We're called to tell them to follow God in their life, to do what God wants them to do. Because if I would have listened to the people that tried to tell me what to do when I was 16, 17 years old, I would be doing this. This is not what people told me I was going to do at 16, 17 years old. As Christians, we spend so much time condemning others for how they're living their, their life 
we forget the struggles we have in our own life. We choose to forget how messed up our lives are. And one thing I think that's hard for us as believers and people who are saved is to look at people who have never experienced that, that, that Jesus and when He comes into your life. It's hard for us to remember back to before we had Jesus in our lives. And how we forget that a lot of the things they're doing and a lot of things we look down on them for were a lot of the same things we did. We did a lot of those same things before then. And we still continue to sin in our lives. But instead of looking at our lives and saying, what's wrong with our lives? We tend to look at their lives and say, I'm living better than them, so I must be doing okay. We tend to look at their lives and pick out every flaw so that we don't have to look at our own. In Galatians 5, chapter 5, verse 1, it says, it is, our, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. We have the liberty to know that Jesus died for us. And that we have a hope to spend eternity with the Father. We do not need to fall into the things of the world that can hold us captive and can hold us from growing in our faith because these are just distractions that Satan has put out before us to keep us from the ultimate growth of growing our faith in Jesus. When you look at liberty, you sometimes people ask, why didn't God just save everybody? You know, why didn't God just make sure everybody gets to heaven? Why did He make it to where you had to accept Him? Because in life we have choice. Right? I don't think anybody here was forced into a career field. You got to choose your career field. You got to choose who you married. You didn't get to choose your children, but you got to choose how you raised them. You, did, you get to choose so many things in life. And what's important for us to remember is, as we choose these things in life, to always put God first in those choices. Love. Rick Warren said, God is love. He didn't need us, but He wanted us. And that is the most amazing thing. C.S. Lewis said, The great thing to remember is that though our feelings come and go, God's love for us does not. And St. Augustine said, God loves each of us as if there were only one of us. When we look at that C.S. Lewis quote, it says, The great thing to remember is that though our feelings come and go, God's love for us does not. When we ran away from God, He didn't stop loving us. When we didn't want God to love us, He didn't stop loving us. And when we really didn't care about God, He still loved us. I remember, I'm reminded of a story, I'm not going to tell it right, of the footprints in the sand. And it's the story of, you know, the person's walking along the sand and they're, and they're just walking along. And every time they look back, there's another footstep set of footprints behind them. And they walk on this journey, and there's always that second set of footprints. And they get to a point, and they look back, and there's only one set of footprints. And they turn to God, and they say, God, why did you leave me during this time? And God says, I didn't leave you, I carried you through it. That in those hard times in our life, when God, 
when it seems like God is so far away from us because things just can't seem to go right. He's not He's not gone. He's still there. And He is more in, in and at that moment you need Him more than you ever do. Because we always need God, but there are times in our life when we just need Him more. It's important for us to remember that even when we did not follow Him and cared nothing about Him, God still loved us and He never gave up on us. He didn't need us, but instead, He chose us. He has everything already. He was here before there was light, before there was darkness, before there was an earth, before there was water, food, animals. He was already here. Everything we have is God's. And that's the amazing thing about our God is that in the manner of this, He can take everything away from you. But instead of taking everything away from you, He gave His only Son to die on a cross so that you could have a chance. So that I could have a chance. So that we could have a chance at eternal life with Him. He wanted us and He was willing to have His only Son die on a cross so that we could experience life with Him forever and spend eternity in heaven. Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 2 says, If I hold in my mind not only all human knowledge, but also the very secrets of God. And if I have faith that can move mountains, but have no love, I amount, to, I amount to nothing at all. We are called to go out and show the love of Jesus. If we go around talking, you know, if we, go, if we say we're going to share the love of Jesus, okay, but we go talk and gossip about this person over here, okay, and they know we're doing it, you know, because we're human. It happens, okay? We do that, and then we go over here and say, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. Do we really think they're going to listen to anything we just said? Because all they're going to think is, because what we get called a lot of hypocrites anyway, you're just another one of those Christian hypocrites who live however you want, but say you're, but you act so much better, like you have something so much better. But you act like you're so much better. It's important for us to always remember that people are watching us. No matter what you're doing, people are watching what you do. People are watching your actions. People are watching how you treat other people. People are watching how you live your life. And it's important for us as Christians to always remember that we are a reflection of Jesus. Because we are called as Christians to live our life like Jesus. How are you if we go on talking about people and condemning them for their wrongs, at the same time we are trying to tell them about Jesus, how are they going to look at us? When we, when they become, when we become like everyone else, and our lives look no different than the lives of people, how are we, how are we supposed to go tell them if our lives look, don't look any different? If our lives look the same as the person who's out here that we know is not a Christian, how are we any different from them? If we don't choose to live our life any different, then how are we showing Jesus to others? We deal with this a lot in youth. Because those kids, what the main thing at 15, 16, 17 year olds, and I have two brothers who are that age, is they want to fit in. Right, Camden? You want to fit in, right? Yes. They want to fit in with their friends. They want to fit in with what's going on in their life. And they're willing to do whatever it takes a lot of times to fit in. But a lot of times fitting in isn't following Jesus. 
A lot of times fitting in involves being not fitting being for Jesus involves being willing to be a little bit different, to live a little bit different life, to walk in your life a little different. Adults, when you go to work and you're all in the coffee room or the take drinking coffee, and you know everybody's talking about everybody because I've experienced that because now I'm in the real world. That's what happens. Okay, that's what happens in the coffee room and in the coffee when around the coffee. When you're doing all those things, you have a choice. Okay? You can do that. And you can participate in that. And you can fit in and be like everybody else. Okay? Or you can choose to do what God calls us to do and say, let's not do that. Let, let's, talk, let's talk about how these people are good. How they're good at what they do instead of everything negative because as humans we tend to focus on everything negative that people do. Instead of focusing on the negative in their life and the negative things they're doing, focus on the positive so that we can build them up and so that we can see them grow in their life. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 says, Love is patient, love is kind, and it is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Love does not mean that we will not hurt each other. Love doesn't mean we won't cause pain. Because we've all hurt someone we love. Love means that when that happens, we go to one another without arrogance and without pride, and we truly hurt for what we have done. We hurt for how we've hurt that person. Love is something that does not just happen overnight. It is something that grows slowly and is not boastful. The love that we have for each other, however, will never compare to the love that Jesus has for us. Because there is no greater love than laying down your life for someone else. And Jesus came and lived the perfect life only to be hung on a cross as a criminal, and as he was hanging on a cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. He loved us enough that even when we were killing him as a criminal, he still wanted the Father to forgive us. And every day we sin against him, even though he played the ultimate sacrifice for us. And every day he still loves us. Romans 12, chapter 12, verse 9 says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Love others without falling into coveting what they have. That's one of my favorite things about teenagers. Okay? You ask them, what is love? And, you say, and they say, well, she looks good. Great. What okay? What else? Well, I don't really know. Well, we probably need to talk about love. When you look, yeah, um, love without coveting what they have. Sometimes we tend to fall in love with what people have or what we think someone can be, or what we think we can make them to be. 
You can't change who somebody is. Only God can change who somebody is. If you go out here and try to change who your co-workers are or who your girlfriend is or who your spouse is, it ain't going to work. Because only God can do that. The key to love and to marriage, I've heard, is to always make sure that your wife's happy and that you always keep God first. Because the moment you take God first out of your relationship will be the time when your relationship starts to fail. If we make God first in our relationships, not only will our relationship grow, our spiritual life will grow. Our personal lives will better prosper because we have kept God in the center of it. And if we keep God in the center of our lives, then we are going to grow, we are going to prosper, and we are going to have a God who loves us. Because even if prosper to you is different, anything that God does is so much greater than anything we can do. Just because you... If you want to raise at work, and just because you don't get as much as you think you you want, but God get but you get what you get, it's because God has a plan for that other part so that He can grow His kingdom for somebody else, so that He can bless somebody else with what they need. If we look at John three sixteen, it says, "For God so loved the world that He gave His only one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life." There is no greater love than laying your life down for someone else. Jesus was not only born of a virgin, he not only fought every temptation, he not only lived a perfect life, and he not only hung on a cross and was crucified. The big part that a lot of people forget about is that as he was hanging there, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they've done. The love he had for those people. That even though they hung him on a cross and they chose to let a murderer out of jail so they could put him in it. That no matter how much those people had betrayed him and hurt him and crucified him, he still loved them. I can't imagine what it would be like to be in that situation. To know that people chose everything but you when you were the only hope they had. And you still love them just the same. Never once did Jesus want to see those people punished for what they were doing to him. His love for us never wavered, and he paid the ultimate sacrifice so that we could spend eternity in heaven. And he gave us the only chance we had to escape hell. That he was the only one who could give us that chance. If we look at Jesus and what he did, he showed us the greatest example of love. Because he went and he lived his whole life knowing what was going to happen. But never once did he say, is it worth it? Never once did he say, is Rita worth it? Is Bill worth it? Is Peyton worth it? Never once did he say that. 
Because he always knew you were. He always knew we were worth it. We were worth every bloodshed tear. We were worth every nail. We were worth every second he was on the cross. And we were worth every second he was in the tomb until he came out. Because whether people, whether you believe it, whether people have told you your whole life you weren't, you were worth it. And the last thing is we serve a God of miracles. Ronald Reagan once said, God's miracles are to be found in nature itself. The wind and waves, the wood that become a tree, all of these are explained biologically, but behind them is the hand of God. An unknown author once said, I have learned to use the word impossible with the greatest caution. Because it's we can quickly remember and think of times in our life when we can think about the word impossible and then remember that there's nothing that is impossible with our God. If you think about everything you have been in everything you have, your life, it was all given to you by God. And the crazy thing about this is that God can take it all away in the matter of a second. God sometimes has to break us down just to show us how great He is. He is a God who loves us through the bad and can do the ultimate miracle and take us from death to life. Colossians 1 verse 7 says, And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Before there was light, before there was darkness, before there was breath, before there was water, before there was land, and before there was life, there was God. God is everything, and He is all we ever need. Jeremiah thirty-two twenty-seven says, I am the Lord, the God of all mankind, and is anything too hard for me. And I want to spend some time on this. Because we just got out of this series on prayer, okay, and praying to God, right? And as I was really thinking about this week and what we've been talking about in prayer and stuff, it occurred to me something that had never occurred to me before. We only halfway pray to God a lot of times. A lot of times we sit there and we pray, God, give me, let my boss see how good I'm doing so I can get this interview for this promotion. And we get the interview for this promotion, and once we get the interview, we stop praying. We ask God to get us the interview, but we don't ask God to help us through it. We ask God to help us in our marriage until it gets to a part we don't want to fix. And we say, I got this, God. We ask God to help us through school until we get to a part we don't want to do. And then we say, eh, I guess I can myself. We get to a part in our lives where we get to an uncomfortable position because we, does anybody here love to be uncomfortable? Exactly. We all get to a point in our lives where we pray for something until we realize it's going to make us uncomfortable. So once we get to that uncomfortable part, we're like, I'm out. I don't want this anymore. Instead of praying through it with God that He will give us comfort in those times, 
we choose to stay uncomfortable and just let go and leave God. Who are we to put limits on God? Whoever gave us any sort of power or authority to put limits on God? So many times we put limits on people and we put limits on ourselves. But God never puts those limits on people and He never puts them on us because through Him all things are possible and through Him we can do all things. We tend to put limits on a God who raised Lazarus from the dead, who made the blind to see, who protected David in the lion's den, who was in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who created the whole earth, and the God who saved you and me. We tend to put limits on that God, and we have to stop thinking God can only do a little and realize He is the only one who can do everything. I've got a buddy from high school who I was talking to this week, and we I got in this conversation because you know he was pastor and stuff, and we started talking. And he said the line, still, I just don't feel like God does miracles anymore. And I asked him to explain it to me. What do you mean when you say God doesn't do miracles anymore? And he said something like, well, you don't see people raising from the dead. You don't see, you know, left. You don't see people from blind to sight. He said, you don't see those things out anymore. And I said, number one, because as a society, we focus on the negative, not the positive. You don't see the good things. And I said, number two, what I want you to realize is, is there are people who are addicted to drugs who are being told that they'll never be, they'll never be sober again. There are people who go into doctor's office and are being told, you have four months to live, this cancer is going to kill you. There are people who are being told that they will never have children. And there are people being told that they will never be able to walk. And today I can tell you that those people who were told those things, they're sober. Those people who are being told they'll never have children, they're having children. Those people who were told they're going to die of cancer, the doctors are coming in and they're saying, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with you. And those people and those people who are being told that they'll never walk are walking again. And the only answer for that is Jesus. Because if you've ever been around me, I'll take the thing I say all the time is that Jesus is better. Is that right, Diane? Jesus is better. And the same God that parted the Red Seas for Moses and the same God that raised Jesus from the dead and moved the tomb is still performing the same miracles today. Because there's no greater miracle in this life that you'll see then when you see a new believer accept Christ, and when they go from death to life. Because that miracle of going from death to life not only has an earthly impact, but it has an eternal impact. Our 
all of these things and these miracles that have gone on before and that will continue to go on for eternity is because we serve a God that never changes. We serve a God that never leaves. We serve a God that no matter how lost we are, He can find us. Because one, because all of us have to remember there was a time when we were blind, but now we can see. There was a time when we were lost, and now we're found. And there was a time whenever we were hopeless, but now we have a hope. And there was a time when we were fatherless, but we have an eternal father. Today, as the band's going to come in a minute, we as Christians need to come together as one body, one mind, and unite for the one common goal of sharing the gospel to everyone and ev everyone and everywhere we can. We have to remember that the love that God has for us, just like we sang in the song, He is a good, good Father, and we are loved by Him. And no matter what you've done in life, and no matter how many times you've messed up, that love He has for you never let go. That love He has for you never faded. And the love He has for you never will. So as the band's about to come, the, main, the number one thing today is that if you've never experienced the miracle of God of being brought from death to life. There is no greater moment in time than today. Because as I was reminded of less than 12 hours ago, that you're never promised anything. You're not promised tomorrow. You're not promised next week, and you're not promised another second. And for us who have experienced this great gift of salvation, it's time for us to remember what it was like before we had it. And remember how messed up our lives are now and how much more they were messed up before we had Jesus. And to remember that the people who need us now, they need us more than ever now. Because life's not going to get any easier. We're only going to gain more access to things. Technology's not going to stop. Today, remember what that was like. And, because, and it's our job as Christians and as the church to come together so that we can, pursue, we can pursue that one common goal of seeing people accept Jesus. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for this day and I thank you for all you're doing and all you're going to continue doing in the lives of the people in this church and the people in this community, people all around us, God. I thank you for loving us even when we don't deserve it. I thank you for pursuing us even when we didn't want you to. I thank you for always being there for us, even when we didn't want you there, even when we wanted you as far away from us as we could possibly get you. You were always right behind us, and thank you for the times in our life when you just had to carry us through it. Thank you for never giving up on us. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.